Have you ever had a gift that you intentionally planned out for the person or people that you were giving? You've sat back, you've planned out maybe a couple of months in advance, you've thought about the person, maybe one of your kids, maybe it's a couple for their wedding, you have thought out for the perfect gift for them, and you cannot wait to give it to them. You sit there, you give them the gift, and you even tell them as they're getting ready to open it, I'm so excited, I can't wait till you see what I've given you. You've been there. One of the most difficult times in my 21 years of being a pastor was serving in my church in Charlotte, North Carolina. The church had relocated to a new location 15 miles south. It was a brand new building, very bare. We needed some things to be brought in, some furnishings and some decorations. And after about five years of being there, a family came in right before Christmas and presented to me a gift for the church. It was a check for $10,000. They said to me, Pastor, we love this church. We've moved down here from Chicago. We love this family that we're a part of. My kids love being here. We want to give this to the church. And we know that there has been several discussions about various furnishings and artwork. We would like for this money to go primarily to the church's budget and needs, but we would also like to be able to use this money to buy a crucifix over the altar. I took this gift and the intention to the Board of Elders. The Board of Elders approved minus one who quit the Board of Elders the next week. The elders told me that they wanted me to go ahead and instruct the congregation about what this would be all about. So I spent two months teaching about something like a crucifix in a church. I cannot tell you how enraged people became about this idea, how fractured the church became. This is too much of a Catholic thing, Pastor. We can't have this. The next thing you know, you're going to be having statues all over the church. Why do you suppose the Catholics have it in their church? Well, I suppose it's to show people what Jesus did for us. Is that a bad thing? And on and on and on. People sitting in the hallways, gossiping to each other. People sitting in the bathrooms, talking passively, aggressively about others, warring against each other over something like a crucifix in the church. So finally, I stepped up to the congregation and said to them, we're not ready for this gift. And that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing that something like a gift like this, no matter what you think of it, divided our congregation. So with that being said, Mr. Treasurer, write a check for $10,000 back to the family. Well, now, wait a minute, Pastor, they said. Wait a minute. They gave part of that money to the, to the budget. No, give it back to them. Why is it that we have such a hard time, particularly maybe as Lutherans today, with Jesus on the cross, with Jesus dying on the cross? If you go back to all of the Lutheran churches in Germany, 
you'll see that our forefathers plastered crucifixes all over their churches. Luther himself had a piece of artwork done where he is literally preaching from a pulpit much like this, and on the other side of the church is his congregation, and in the middle of that congregation is this magnanimous, this huge, huge mega crucifix, and Luther is pointing at the crucifix. Why are we so afraid to look at Jesus on the cross? Somebody the other day posted about their family watching the passion of the Christ. The person posting it said, I really don't want to watch that movie, but I'm going to. I've asked others about that movie in the past, never seen it, not going to watch it, can't stand to look at it. Why? It's because typically they say they can't see, stand to see what Jesus went through for them. And suddenly now, Jesus' passion and his death on the cross has become an instrument of guilt. Feel bad. Feel bad for what he did again, for you, what you did against him. It is an instrument where Jesus went to die for our sins and experienced incredible pain and agony and even death. But why should this wondrous gift which forgives and brings your life make you feel uncomfortable. It's Good Friday for us, but it's Bad Friday for Jesus. Wrong. It's Good Friday for Jesus as well. He wanted to do this. He planned for this. This has been planned since the foundations of this world. God had you in mind, and he planned this one particular gift for you. Jesus actually looked forward to it. At his first miracle at Cana, he tells his mother Mary, my time has not come. He tells others, I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. I won't look at them and say, how guilty do you feel? I won't look at them and say, get away from me. Greater love has no one than this, that they should lie, that lay down their life for their friends. Jesus, in the context of the Good Shepherd, says, I am the Good Shepherd, and I lay down my life for you, the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, and it's all for you just like everything else that God gives to us, though, the devil will take it and twist it, whispering that this sacrifice was extremely painful and not good for Jesus, telling you and me, you should feel guilty when you look at him on that cross. Look at the suffering that Jesus did for you because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. But he didn't die on the cross to make you feel guilty. He didn't die on the cross to make you feel bad about it. He died to forgive you and to give you his love. Yes, he hurt for you. Yes, it hurt because of you and me. But why is that just simply a bad thing? It is good not just for us, but for him too. 
He said, I am willing to drink the cup of the dregs for you. He rejoiced to see this hour because he knew by that you and I would be saved. If you've come here tonight and you want to feel guilty, you want to feel remorse, if you want to feel really bad about things, look at yourself. Look at myself. Look at what you do with this Christian faith. Oh, we believe this, we love the Bible, and yet how often have we given up and how often do we simply deny, like Peter, that we believe all of this? We disregard this so quickly. If you wanna feel bad, look at how you've treated other people. Look at how you've been angry. Look at how I have ignored people, been annoyed by people. Look at the damage that you have done to yourself even though God calls you his precious gift. If you want to feel guilty, look at the damage that sin has done to people and to things. Look at to the relationships that I have broken and you have as well. Feel bad about that tonight. But when you feel guilty that Jesus suffered and died for you, you're making it all about yourself. And really, it's only guilt in the face of so much love that he pours out for you. And here's the other thing. You don't even get to decide what God gives and does for you. He shows you how valuable you are. Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with agony the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Did you hear that? The joy before him. Was that his Father in heaven? Was that the Holy Spirit? No, you are the joy that was before him. You are his joy. You are the apple of his eye. You are the one who has been created in God's image. You are the pinnacle of all of his creation. He delights in you. He goes to the greatest lengths for you. He gives up all that he has for you and he gives it all to you. This gift has been planned out forever so that you might be with him forever. Who would not want to look at this and see great joy? He who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. He does this for you. And as the catechism says, this is more precious than silver or gold. It is done for you by his holy, precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. This is what you're worth. This is why today is good. This is why he is the priceless treasure because he sees how priceless you are. You are worth that much. Yesterday, I visited one of our shut-ins. 
She says hello, by the way. And in her little room that she has is this wonderful picture of her and her husband on their wedding day. They were married in a Lutheran church, big high German altar, and as they're sitting there up at the altar with their photo, behind them is a giant crucifix on the altar. I thought that was kind of fascinating that however many decades ago in the Lutheran church, they simply wanted to have their picture taken with that cross. There's a very fascinating article that came out about a month ago about the marriage custom that is found in the country of Croatia. There is a custom and tradition in Croatia that people have for marriages. There's a town of about 13,000 people. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But they have looked at their town records throughout the decades, and there is not one single divorce recorded among its 13,000 inhabitants. Not one single family has broken up in living memory. What's the secret? Why isn't Dr. Phil doing a four-week series? Why aren't all marriage counselors going to Croatia to find out what the secret is to these marriages not dissolving? The answer is very simple. In Croatia, as a bride and groom are brought together in the church, and as they're brought up to the altar to be married, they carry a crucifix in each, with, the, with one crucifix, each holding it together as they walk up to the altar. And as they hold that crucifix and go through the marriage rite, and as they turn to each other to take their vows, they are holding that crucifix with each other. And at the end of the vows, the pastor or the priest places his hand on their hands on the cross and he blesses them. He pronounces that they are now husband and wife. But before they kiss each other, they kiss the body of Jesus on the cross. Then they kiss each other, and that crucifix is taken with them to hang in their home. They found their marriage on the death of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, which has provided life, which brings forth divine life. It was love that put him there for you. It hurt, it is graphic, but he said it himself. If this is how you are to be saved, then I will do it. Why? He is the groom. You are his bride. He goes to the greatest lengths to make you pure, clean, and holy. He is the one who lays down his life for you, his bride. He will go, even if he asks the Father if it's not his will. He will go even gladly. He will go so that you may become one with him in his marriage. It was good for him because he got to do it for you, his bride, and that is what he's been given to do. He got to love you 
But that love is not just simply chocolates and flowers and emotions. That love looks like something. It looks like Jesus on the cross who does not look at you tonight and say, see what you've done. Look at the mess that you've caused. I hope you feel guilty. No, he looks at his bride and he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is my beloved bride with whom I love and my blood is shed for. And in the end, he says, it is finished. In the Greek, it is tetelestai. In the Latin, it is consumatum est. It is consummated. The bride and the groom have become one flesh. Today, he gets to love you, and this love looks like sacrifice. And as we look at Jesus and his dead body on the crucifix, that gift has been planned out for you. That's why it's Good Friday. My old church in Charlotte two months ago got their crucifix. It was put up two months ago. They spent $72,000 on it. They also put up an eight-foot-tall rendering of Jesus' birth and an eight-foot-tall rendering of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus didn't resurrect from the cross. He resurrected from the empty tomb. Jesus wasn't put to death in the nativity scene. He was born. Every little image has its meaning and its place in the life of the church because it's all focused on you. Life, death, life, all planned out with you in mind. So rejoice today. Take heart as we sit in a little bit of darkness and somberness. Today is Good Friday. Yes, good for you, good for Jesus, because he gets to dole out his gifts to you. As we will sing at the end here tonight, not leaving in darkness and loud noises, sing my tongue the glorious battle. Today is good because Jesus is victorious, and because of that, he gifts you the victory as well. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand for prayer. Let us pray for the whole Christian church that our Lord God would defend her against all the assaults and temptations of the adversary and keep her perpetually on the true foundation, Jesus Christ. Almighty and everlasting God, since you have revealed your glory to all nations in Jesus Christ and in the word of his truth, keep, we ask you, in safety the works of your mercy so that your church spread throughout all the nations may be defended against the adversary and may serve you in true faith and persevere in the confession of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for all the ministers of the word, for all vocations in the church, and for all the people of God. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified, Receive the supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all of your servants in your holy church, that every member of the same may truly serve according to your calling, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for our catechumens, 
that our Lord God would open their hearts and the door of his mercy, that having received the remission of all their sins by the washing of regeneration, they may be mindful of their baptism and evermore be found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Almighty God and Father, because you always grant growth to your church, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens. For Tyler, Velta, Amy Faith, and Cooper, that rejoicing in their new birth by the water of holy baptism, they would be forever continue in the family of those whom you adopt as your sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for all in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. O most merciful Father in heaven, because you hold in your hand all the might of man, and because you have ordained for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do well all the powers that exist in all the nations of the world, we humbly pray that you graciously regard your servants, especially Joseph, our president, the Congress of the United States, Sarah, our governor, and all those who make, administer, and judge our laws, that all who receive the sword as your ministers may bear it according to your word, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray our Lord God Almighty that he would deliver the world from all error, take away disease, ward off famine, set free those in bondage, and grant health to the sick and a safe journey to all who travel. Almighty and everlasting God, the consolation of the sorrowful and the strength of the weak, and the prayers of those who in any tribulation or distress cry to you, graciously come before you, so that in all the necessities they may rejoice in your manifold help and comfort. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for all who are outside the church, that our Lord God would be pleased to deliver them from their error, Call them to faith in the true and living God and his only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and gather them into his family, the church. Almighty and everlasting God, because you seek not the death but the life of all, hear our prayers for all who have no right knowledge of you. Free them from their error, and for the glory of your name, bring them into the fellowship of your holy church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for peace that we may come to knowledge of God's holy word and walk before him as is fitting for Christians. Almighty and everlasting God, King of glory and Lord of heaven and earth, by whose spirit all things are governed, by whose providence all things are ordered, the God of peace and the author of all conquered, grant us, we implore you, your heavenly peace and conquered, that we may serve you in true fear to the praise and glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for our enemies, that God would remember them in mercy and graciously grant them such things as are both needful for them and profitable for their salvation. O almighty and everlasting God, through your only Son, our blessed Lord, you have commanded us to love our enemies, and to do good to those who hate us, and to pay for those who persecute, pray for those who persecute us. We therefore earnestly implore you that by your gracious visitation, all of our enemies may be led to true repentance and may have the same love and be of one accord and one mind and heart with us and with your whole Christian church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. 